So good thing I, I really wasn't that good at pass rushing because I only had one or two dance moves. So I got two sacks in my career. I was able to, to highlight what I had. Uh, thank you guys so much for allowing me to be out today. Uh, Pastor Jim, thank you. Journey Church. Uh, you know, we talk all the time about having faith, and it certainly takes a lot of faith to ask a guy who's been smashing his head against metal for 18 years to come up here and say something coherent. So I am uh, grateful for the opportunity. Um, a little bit about myself, I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, uh, went to college up here at the University of Maine back in 2002. That's where I met my, my beautiful wife, Jessie. Um, it was funny, Jessie, uh, funny story how we met. I was a senior in high school and she was a freshman in college. And she was friends with the host, the football player that was going to host me for my recruiting trip up to Maine. And they told her to flirt with me so that I would come to school up in Maine. <laughs> And I remember saying, wherever she is, I met Jesse, I said, wherever she is, that's where I want to be. And so here we are, married, been married for eight years, and uh, we live here in Hamden. I got uh, two boys, Rocco and Sal. And so this, this series has been helping the next generation win. And I named them Rocco and Sal for that reason, because I've never heard of anybody get picked on that's named Rocco or Sal. So I'm setting them up for the best possible scenario. Um, Coming out of college in 2007, I played nine years in the NFL. I played six years for the Jets, and I, I almost wore the jersey today, but then I remembered where I was. And <laughs> it's supposed to be a, a sermon and not, uh, not a, uh, a burn at the stake. So I wore my Chiefs jersey. I played six years with the Jets and three years with the Chiefs. And so retired uh, in 2016, and then kind of right now trying to make the transition to the academic world, the theological world. And so... I just finished up my master's degree in apologetics at uh, Houston Baptist University and um, starting a degree now at the University of Edinburgh online degree in philosophy. So trying to, trying to make that, that adjustment again when you smash your head against metal for 18 years, it's, it's not easy. So uh, pray for me. But um, I'm just here today to kind of wrap up the Next Gen series and, and, uh, and give you some football stories and just talk faith and kind of my testimony a little bit. And I've really, really enjoyed this series, and I, I, I was here for the three, the three parts so far, and, and I went back and listened to them again, Pastor Jim and Pastor Brian, and it really was a convicting um, and motivating sermon for me, sermon series for me. And I remember the, the first thing that stands out kind of when Jim opened up the, the, uh, the sermon was he, he showed the, the five generations, right? And so we started with the greatest generation, and that was, the, you know, that was this generation that decided they wanted to sacrifice. They wanted to go out and, and go to war for something that was higher than them, a higher purpose, a higher calling, uh, and they were going to lay it all out there to do it. And then we had the next generation, which is the baby booners, right? So the baby booners come, the, the people come back for more, men come back for war, we get a bunch of kids. So their, their generation is defined by the number of kids they had. And then we go to the next generation, it was the breakfast club generation, right? It was the work hard, party hard generation. And then we get to the Generation Y and Generation Z, which was, you know, look at the technology they have. Look at the cell phones and the iPads. And the first thing that came to my mind as Jim got done with that is what in the world happened? How did we go from being the greatest generation to now being remembered by either the, the quantity of people, you know, the breakfast club or the technology that we have? So I had resolved at that point, like, my boys will not be remembered for their iPads. You know, like, that's not going to happen. We're going to start making a move back towards the greatest generation. 
And so it was really, really convicting. And, and what Jim had said, and going off of uh, Psalm 78, talking about how we, to help the next generation win, we want to give them a standard for living, not just a standard of living. Right, And so I'll, I know growing up, that was what my dad tried to instill in us, was how to have a better standard of living. You've got to work hard, because you've got to make money, because you've got to provide, so that your kids are taken care of. And so I understand the, the motivation behind that. But giving them a standard for living, um, when Jim said that, I was like, that, that makes so much sense. That's what I want to instill into my kids, into who I'm mentoring. And so, so that's the win, to give them a standard for living. And, and ASAP lays out the blueprint in Psalm 78. He says, to tell our children about the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done so that they will trust in God, remember his deeds, and keep his commands. So tell our children about God and what he has done for us so they will trust in him and remember his commands. And Jim made a great point. He said, he said look at how in the scriptures trusting in God comes before keeping his commands. And as a Christian, this was something that was, was tough, especially when I first came to Christ, you know, it's all about the rules, right? And you're zealous. You know, I got to tell everybody what's right and what's wrong. Uh, and this, this really made a lot of sense to me. And I think about it like this. When I, was, when I was in New York, I was living with my best friend, Matt Mulligan. We had both played for the Jets. Matt's from Enfield, and uh, right here in Maine. And, and we were best friends in college, played together in college. And then God knew we were too dumb enough to do life on our own, so he put us together in the NFL. <laughs> and so we lived together for a year when I was in New York. We still had the same apartment. And... Um, we would stay up all night playing video games. I mean, we absolutely loved it. We would get so entrenched in these video games. I mean, we, we literally, he, he was right there in the same house, and we put different TVs in different rooms with headsets, and the internet kicked on so we could talk to each other and have our own TV in different rooms just to play these, you know, these shooter video games. And we'd be up till 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. We wouldn't leave the house playing these games. So we'd work all day and come home and play these games all night. And then, I met, and then my wife and I started dating. We got married. You know, and she moved in, and it took her about three months to get Matt out of the house. <laughs> but, but during that time, she said, look, I don't want you staying up all night playing video games. Like, I want to spend time with you. You're at work all day, and then you come home and play video games with Matt. Uh, and I remember being like, oh, yeah, you know, that makes sense. You know, the dumb husband. And so I said, yeah, no, that's right. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm gonna, I'll stop doing the video games, and, and we'll, we'll spend time together. And I think about this as it relates to trusting in God and then keeping his commands, right? Because if somebody would have come to me before I met my wife and said, hey, you need to stop playing video games. And I said, why? And they said, because your wife doesn't want you to. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Right? The rules don't make sense outside of the relationship. And so in the same way that it took me trusting and loving in my wife first to understand how things were going to go, it's the same thing with Jesus, right? And so it's so important that we understand that we have to we have to build a relation, and as mentors and as people passing this on to the next generation, the most important thing to drill home is the relationship. The rules will fall into place, right? But the relationship is most important. And so I went back through, and I just kind of wanted to talk about some practical ways that I thought we could help the next generation win. Um, I was thinking through it and praying about it and thinking, okay, what, what are some steps that we can take um, to best set up the next generation? And so Jim hit the first one, and, I, and I'm just going to reiterate it because I think it's so important and so obvious, but it's we need to choose to help, right? We need to get in the game. What we believe in is too important to just sit on the sidelines and let, let life go by. I mean, it's too vital. It's too important. And, and honestly, for me, this is probably the most difficult part. Uh, I'm incredibly introverted. I'm talking about just as, as introverted as it gets. 
And um, it was funny, yesterday I was in a wedding. And if you ever want an out and introvert, have him be in a wedding party with the only person that he knows is the groom and force him to take, you know, the, you know how they force the pictures and you're taking funny photos and you're taking photos all day and then the small talk. Like if you're an introvert, you know small talk is just killer. So all day, you know, all day and all night yesterday, I'm just, you know, chit-chatting about things and I'm just like, oh man. And then they want you to dance, you know, be in the middle and dance in front of everybody. And I'm like, and there's nobody I know. Finally, I met one of my, one of my friend's buddies who uh, graduated from Princeton. I knew he was going to have different views than I have. And, and you introverts know this, like all we want to talk about is religion and politics. Like if we're going to talk, let's just, let's talk legit stuff. <laughs> and so I went up to him. I was like, listen, bro. Like, I need to debate religion and politics with you right now. Or I'm going to throw up. Like, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> so we literally went and sat in the corner, and he's like, I got you. Let's do this. Uh, and it was fantastic. So I finished off the night well. But, but this one is hard for me. I, I, I like to surround myself with people that are better than I am and try to strive to be like them. But it's very hard for me to get engaged and get involved and, and to, to take the time to get to know somebody, to know about their family, to know about their lives, to get invested in them so that I can, so that I can invest in them. Uh, but, it's, but it's so, so vitally important. Again, what we believe is too important to not, to not impart to, to other people. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a passive religion, right? This is an active faith that we have. Um, I, I think back, and, and I'll tell you why, because it, somebody is going to influence the next generation. There is going to be a Generation Z or whatever the next generation is that has something that defines them. Somebody's going to do it. I think about uh, back to my... Um, a few years ago, my cousin who lives in Florida, she she's, was seven at the time. She's probably nine or ten now. Um, she lives down in Florida, and she came up to stay with us and visit with us, my wife and I. Uh, and so I was, you know, I'm talking to her and, and, and catching up, and I said, I want to see where she's at in school, right? So I start pushing her on her times tables. Like, tell me, what's, what's two times three? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, all right, well, it's four times one. She's like, I don't know. And my wife's kicking me. Like, they don't do that yet. Like, they don't know yet. I said, oh, Okay. And I get in the car, and I'm, we're about to leave to go somewhere, and, and Madison's in the car with us, and I say, uh, oh, you know what, babe, we forgot to pray this morning. Like, we, we got to pray together. And Madison goes, you guys pray? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we pray. And she's like, well, I don't believe in God. I think we're, we evolved from monkeys. And I said, you don't know your times tables, but you know the theory of evolution as an argument against the existence of God, right? <laughs> like, this doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me, but somebody is going to influence them. Um, and so it's so important that we recognize the first step is to get involved, whether it be our, obviously our own kids, how, much, how important it is we want to invest in them to our parents, but then uh, anybody else who has uh, people or, or is looking for people, we need to find people to invest and mentor. And Brian had talked about the happiest people are the ones that care about other people, that invest in sacrifice to take time to invest in other people. And so it's such a biblical principle. It's so important. Uh, and again, at some point, somebody is going to influence the next generation. And so we need to take charge and do that. The, the second point that I was thinking about, because I look, looking at Psalm 78, is we need to introduce them to Jesus. We need to get them into the word. And so for, for practical step number two, once we choose to get into the game, step one is to introduce them to Jesus. I, I, I love Romans 11. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? So if we want them to know about Jesus, we want them to trust in Jesus, we want them to grow, we need to introduce them to him. And there's no better way than the Bible, right? That's the written word of God. 
And, and the more they get in it, the more they know, learn who God is. I remember in 2014, I was playing with the Chiefs, and we had started the season off, first game of the season. And um, about halfway through, right about halftime, our starting middle linebacker goes down. You know, he's out there, he's getting ready to play, and all of a sudden, he doesn't touch anybody, he just falls down. And so you know those are the worst injuries. When you have non-contact injuries, those are the worst, because you know something popped or something went. Uh, and I, I went up to our, our um, trainer after, and they said, yeah, he tore his Achilles. I'm thinking, man, what must that feel like to tear, tear your Achilles? It's game one, this is our leader, this is our guy, you know, and he tears his Achilles. Uh, and then after, after halftime, I come back out, and eight plays later in the same part of the field, I tear my Achilles, non-contact injury, uh, which was really strange. I mean, literally eight plays after he did it, right in the same part of the field, um, doing the same thing, nothing. Um, and so now we have the whole year together. Because in the NFL, once you're injured, you're off, you're off the train. The train's going, and now you're to the side. It's a really difficult time. Um, but DJ and I, because we had had the same exact injuries, we were working together to come back. I mean, literally, right foot, torn Achilles, so we're going through the same exact rehab. So for the next year, right until the next season, you know, we're spending every single minute together, right? I mean, we're, we're working out together, we're training together, we're pushing each other. Uh, our wives are spending time together off the field, we're going out to dinner. I mean, because we had to lift each other up through this time. Um, and now we come back in 2015. Now, Arrowhead Stadium has the Guinness Book of World Records, where we play in Kansas City, has the Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest stadium in the world. And now I tell you guys, when you were on that field, I was there when they broke the record. I mean, it, it feels like an earthquake. The, and the ground is shaking. The crowd is so loud. And being on defense, it's hard because you can't hear the calls. Right? So Derek is our linebacker, and he makes the calls. He tells us what's going on, and we're trying to line up. But when the crowd is so loud, you can't hear what he's saying. But I remembered coming back in 2015, the first game out there, the crowd is going crazy, and I was able to hear Derek crystal clear, like I had never had in the past two seasons. And I thought about, you know, this is this idea of faith comes by hearing and hearing in the Word of God, right? I had become so accustomed to DJ's voice that no matter how loud that stadium got, I was able to hear him. And it's like in this, the same thing with the Word of God. When we get people invested in learning and in God's Word, this world that's full of noises, well, people will be able to hear that, that still small voice, right? Because they become so accustomed to it. And that's why it's important for us to be in the Word, and that's why it's important for us to get others into the Word, especially those we're mentoring. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of influences, a lot of people pulling people in different ways. But if people are becoming accustomed to God's Word, they'll be able to, to hear what is right and what is true through all the other noise that the world is throwing at them. And then... Psalm 78 talks about once we have trust and hope in God, and this is kind of the goal of that first step. Obviously, you're, you're praying, you're getting people invested in the word. The next step is they will keep his commands. And this is one, you know, keeping the rules is not, is not always a fun thing to talk about at church, but uh, I've always found it incredibly important. Um, you think about it like this. The, the rules aren't these arbitrary things that God has just made up to make us miserable, right? He's not sitting up there saying, up oh, there laughing, let's, let's figure out something. There's got to be a rule we can put in there to make it more difficult for people. I mean, God has organized the different spheres, the different aspects of our lives in a certain way. Uh, and so whether it be our friendships, our relationships, our finances, uh, these were designed by God to function a certain way. 
and to function to allow us to prosper. And so I, I, I've heard this analogy, a pastor gave this analogy once, and he said it's like a Corvette and a monster truck. A Corvette, the designer of a Corvette had a certain terrain in mind, right? He, he said speed in mind. He had uh, uh, the ability to turn fast and get to zero to 60 in a certain amount of time, very fast terrain. But if we were to take the Corvette and put it on the terrain of where a monster truck was designed for, there's going to be damage, right? Because that Corvette is not designed to be in the terrain of a monster truck. And it's the same thing with our relationships. It's the same thing with our finances, our, our friendships. These are designed by God to function a certain way. And when we act outside of that, there's damage. And that's what we see around the world all the time. Things acting outside of the purposes of God, and we see the damage that comes from that. And so that's why it's important as we have faith in God, as we grow in hope and trust in God, that we learn to keep his commands. And just like the original analogy with my wife, when this relationship is good, this vertical relationship, everything else is easy, right? It was easy to say, I'm not playing the video games. It's my wife. I love my wife. I don't care what she said. Dance around in a chicken suit. If that's what she wants me to do. My love for her, I'm going to do it. Um, and so it's the same, the same idea, right? And, and, and again, it's not arbitrary. It's because God loves us and wants us to flourish. It's funny, I, I think about, uh, I always love it when kind of you see on the news or, uh, you know, I've read different books where um, people stumble across biblical principles and it becomes this revolutionary thing. I was watching, um, this was, a, this was geez, a few years back now, but I was watching uh, Matt Lauer on the Today Show uh, and he was interviewing some business people. And he was saying, okay, the top five ways to save money and to, to gain money, to make money. Uh, and they went through the first four, and he said, you do this, and you, gotta, you, know, you can do this with your taxes. And these were professional business people laying out a model to save money. Uh, and then they got to step five, and they said, okay, step five, you've got to give money away. You've got to donate money to charity. And Matt Lauer goes, well, that's kind of strange. Like, the, the concept is to save money, to make money. Like, how, why would giving it away help? And they said, we have no idea. I said, but all the studies we've done, <laughs> the people that give money away are the ones that actually make more money. And it's like, this was some revolutionary thing. Like, oh man, like I got a book that was written 2,000 years ago, I'll tell you the same. So, but yeah, but again, these things, and you know, the kingdom's a paradox. I mean, a lot of these things seem paradoxical, but again, God's created this for our flourishing and he's not gonna let us down. And so practically, how does this look? I'll tell you how I've done it with my kids. Again, investing in the next generation and, and, and trying to give them a step up. Um, I really believe it's about starting spiritual routines, right? So we talk about getting in the Word of God. That's step one. That's the most important thing. Um, and so what my son and I try to do is every morning and every night, we get up and we read the children's Bible together and we pray together. Um, and you know, it takes five or ten minutes and, and it's not, uh, you know, and sometimes he's, he's only four and a half, so he's not, even, he's not even dialed in half the time. But even if he gets a little bit, uh, it, it's going to make a difference. And it reminds me of this book I read called The Power of Habit. And one of the, this is a, a book that did case studies on different habits and how to break habits and keep habits. And at the beginning of the book, they were talking about the study they did with uh, people who had Alzheimer's or degenerative brain issues. Um, and they were saying what they found is, if you took this person and told them, go from the front of their house to the end of the street and then come back, they wouldn't be able to do it. But if this person, they took this one 80-year-old man who for the past 40 years had walked down the street to get the paper and come back, and he had built that into his routine, they said, if you told him to do that, he had no problem. 
So he had no idea where his house was any other time, but if it was part of his routine, he was good. And so what they said is this, this, this really deep part of our brain that holds on to routines. And so this could be a good thing, and this could also be a bad thing, right? I mean, if we get bad routines going, it's hard to, it's hard to kick them. But if we get these good routines going, you know, it becomes second nature. And, and it's hard to lose those. And, and my son and I, I mean, he'll remind me if I forget. You know, and he's only four and a half. Like, we got to pray, we got to read the Bible. Right? And so, and again, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, do this, you know, these are the rules and, and, and these, check these boxes. But again, it's to invest in him so he gets to know more about Jesus. And the more I build these routines, the more aware he becomes of it. So getting them in the word, teaching them about God, teaching them about God's commands. The third point um, was we have to set the example. It is so important. I think, I, I study apologetics a ton, right? So apologetics um, is the defense of the Christian faith. And uh, I've heard all the arguments from all the atheists. I mean, everything they've got. Uh, and I think the greatest argument against Christianity uh, is pointing to the lives of Christians, right? So pointing to the lives of Christians and saying, look at how they're living. If you're supposed to be, if this is supposed to be so true and so powerful, look at how they're living. I think that's the greatest argument against Christianity. All the other stuff they have, I don't think makes, you know, I think we're on solid ground. That argument, I think, has merit. Um, and so it's so important because the world is watching us. When I was with the Jets, we had a sports therapist that I worked with every week. Um, and we got really close. I still meet with her. Uh, she's fantastic. And she would help me through a lot of things, you know, training for football and the mental side of the football game, uh, but then a lot of other stuff as well. Um, and so we still meet. And, and just recently, she got hired by the Navy SEALs to go out there and be there. Um, uh, to be their sport, or I guess it's the SEAL's therapist. Um, and she has her office in Coronado at the SEAL base, right in their weight room. And uh, I remember she was going out there, and we were talking. I'm a big-time military fan. I love military everything. You know, and the SEALs, I mean, they're, uh, they're incredible. So I'm always reading their books. And, and I told Sarah. Now, Sarah's worked with the Jets, the entire NFL. She's worked with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, is that their name, the Brooklyn Nets? I don't know. The Brooklyn basketball team. <laughs> um, and so she, she's seen all high-level athletes. And I, she was going out there, and I said, Sarah, they're a different breed. Uh, I mean, I read these books. I haven't met any, but they're a, these, these guys are incredible. I mean, and she, I remember telling me, there's no way. Like, they're going to be just like you guys. They're high-level athletes. They just have a different goal. Um, and I said, no, Sarah, I'm telling you, they're different. These guys are built different. And she said, I disagree. I disagree. It's all the same. And she, she got out there. A week later, she called me. She said, you're right. These guys are a lot better than you are. <laughs> she said, they are. These guys are on another level. That's what we need to be for the kingdom of God, right? We need the outside world to look at us and say, there's something different about them. They are setting a standard. They are setting an example. There's something that I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and talk about being an introvert. Um, I can't tell you how many people who weren't believers came up to me and say, hey, I want to know what you have. Like, I want to know what you got. There's something different about you. I want to know what you got. Uh, and I, I didn't do anything special, but just the, when we live for God, that, that shines his light to this whole world. And it's not, you know, you can't, you can't hide it. Um, and so it's so vitally important to set the example. I, I love the way Paul says it. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? He had some swagger to him. Uh, he said, just, just watch how I do it. That's the kind of mindset we got to take. Watch how I do it. Uh, I'll show you how this works. And, and, that, and we got to be intentional about everything we do because the outside world is, is looking. Uh, and the people that we're mentoring and our kids 
uh, are watching and looking. Um, and so I always think about that, especially at home, and I'm, and I'm never perfect. I mean, every day I make mistakes, but I think, oh, man, I, you know, I'll, sometimes I have a, a, I'll slip of the tongue and say a cuss word or something, and then my kids will get it, you know, and I'm like, oh, no, you know what I mean? And especially the two-year-old, because now he's repeating everything. I'm saying they're going to think we're heathens over here. <laughs> so like, but it reminds me I have to be very careful because they're watching every move, and the same thing with, our, with who we're mentoring. When I was in high school, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, I went to a very small high school, and we didn't have, we only had football for seven years. We didn't have the names on the back of our jerseys. You know, we didn't have a huge budget, so we, did, we just had basic jerseys, and I remember thinking, oh, man, I wish I had my name on my jersey, right? And then I, I came up here to the University of Maine, and again, a small Division I AA school, and we didn't have the names on the back of our jerseys. I remember thinking, oh, man, I, I want that name, man. I was thinking of sewing it on there. Um, <laughs> But then I got to the NFL, and I'm, I'm playing with the Jets, the, the team I grew up with. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. My family's from Brooklyn. So the Jets were our team growing up. Even being here in New England, uh, we took the hazing. I mean, we were Jets fans through and through. And so now I get to play for the Jets. I remember it's our first preseason game, and I go into the locker room, and I see my jersey, and I see DeVito written on the back of it. And I was just like, wow, here we go, finally. And to see it for the first time on the back of a Jets jersey, I mean, it was my dream. And then I get to run out, uh, you know, into Jet Stadium in front of a thousand of my family members, because, you know, big Italian family, everybody came to the game. Uh, and I get to represent that name. I get to represent that name in front of everybody. When we decide to live for Christ, right, when we, when we go down in baptism, come out, we've, we're taking off that jersey that has our name on it. We're putting on that jersey that has Christ on the back. And we're representing that to the world every day. We have that jersey on. Those that know us, those that know we're Christians, those that know that we're walking this walk, and they're, they're watching us to see what we do. And so it's so important, guys, that we set the example. And my last point for today, um, when it comes to helping the next generation win, just to recap, we got to get in the game, right? We got to get out there, be intentional to do it. We got to set the example. We got to get them in the Word of God. And then this is something that I, I continue to bring up this point no matter where I go when I'm talking about um, uh, my faith and, and, and the Bible and, and Jesus and, and, and what this is all about because it, it just seems to be such an important point is we need to encourage those that we're mentoring uh, and, and our kids to build friendships with like-minded people. It is so important that they build friendships and do this life with others who are on the same path, on the same goal, going after the same thing. I remember when I was out in Kansas City, again, I'm a huge military fan, and I went to the National Guard uh, Armory out there to visit there, uh, you know, the National Guard, meet the soldiers, and they took me through all the different training that they do, and they took me to this one simulation where the, you know, the screen comes down, and it's like a, it's like a virtual reality video game, right? And so they give you this, this machine gun that's hooked up to the video game, and it's a big screen in front of you, and they say, okay, you have to decide when you're under attack uh, or when, you know, when not to shoot. And they take you through different scenarios, and you're looking at real people, um, and so it doesn't actually shoot anything, but it's just, you know, it, you're simulating when you would fire. Uh, and so it takes you, you know, it takes you through a whole bunch of different scenarios. You're in this, you know, this Middle Eastern town, and you're walking through, and you come up to this one guy, and he's all mad, and he's yelling at you, and he puts his hand in his pocket, but then he pulls it out, and he just starts pointing at you. So they're trying to get you to shoot early, right? 
So I go through three or four scenarios like this where they're trying to trick me, they're trying to get me to shoot the wrong person. And I'm like, I'm not doing, I'm like, I, I could do this military stuff. I'm thinking I could be a Marine. Uh, I could be, a, you know, I could do this, it's nothing. And then I get to this last scenario, right? And I'm like, this has got to be it. This is the last one. This has got to be the one, right? And this guy's yelling at this girl in front of me. Just they're going back and forth yelling. These are real actors doing this. Um, so he's yelling at her, yelling at her. And then he looks at me and he's yelling at me. Um, and then all of a sudden he pushes the girl over. And he pulls out a knife and he starts charging at me. And I'm like, I'm going to let this guy have it. This guy's going to be a pencil when I'm done. So boom, 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 right? And I'm letting him have it. Uh, and it doesn't, nothing happens. I mean, it doesn't shoot or nothing happens to him. Um, and then the drill sergeant who's taking me through it says, you died. I'm like, man, I shot that guy 30 yards away. Like, he was, he's gone. Like, I, how did I die? And he reround the tape. And he said, he showed when the guy had pushed the girl down, the girl pulled out a gun and shot me. So I wasn't even looking at her. I was like, they set me up. They set me up. I was like, how do you guys plan for that? How do you guys do that? And he said, look down the line. And I look, and there's five other guns set up. He's like, we never go out there alone. We never do this battle alone. Like, we're always out there together. The uh, saying in the military, alone is dangerous. Uh, I was thinking, oh, that's such a biblical, a biblical principle. You think about Jesus, one of his first things on the scene, right? So God gets on the scene. He goes, he, he beats up on the devil, devil in the wilderness, and he comes back and he assembles his, his mighty men, right? His disciples, his group. I was thinking, if God puts a precedence on doing life with others, how much should we put a precedence on that, right? Um, I've actually been really blessed to have some great people in my life. I think of my, my best friend, Matt, my best friend, uh, uh, Matt, who I spoke about before, Matt Mulligan. We were with the Jets, and um, we were in the playoffs. This is the Rex Ryan era. So we're in the playoffs. We're getting ready to play the Colts. Now, I, I know you guys are familiar with this being New England fans, but uh, when, when uh, Peyton Manning was out in Indy, they used to do the same thing where they'd run this hurry-up offense where they would get, you know, they'd, they'd throw a pass, they'd get a first down or whatever, and then they'd run to the line and run another play, and then run to the line and run another play. And the, the idea is they want to catch the defense off guard, right? They want to keep the de defense in the personnel that they're in, not let them substitute and outmatch them with the plays they're running. And so it's killer because you're tired and they're flying down the field. You don't have the right guys. They keep getting first downs. I mean, it's just, they're just killing you. And so what Rex came up with, he said, okay, we're going we're gonna to run this play. We're going to call it Lobster. He said, Mike, because you're from Maine, we're going to call it lobster. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to fake an injury. You're going to fake an injury. You're going to take a dive. When, they, when Peyton Manning comes up to run these fast plays, you take a dive. You grab your knee. You know, you sell it real good. That'll allow us to substitute it. and It'll slow everything. We'll have an injury timeout. Uh, and I was, originally, I was like, that's really nice that they chose me to do this. I was honored. And then I was thinking, <laughs> they chose me to do it because I'm the guy they can most afford to have off the field for the next play. And so, so again, now, now we're back, we're in practice, we're getting ready to play this game, and, and uh, Rex says, all right, let's run through Lobster just to see how we're going to do this, see how it's going to look. So, okay, we're going to run through practice. Now, everybody knows about this play, except my friend Matt. Mully has no idea that this is going on. And so he said, okay, run it. And so we run the play, and I fall down, and I'm, I'm selling it, right? I'm grabbing my knee, and I'm yelling, I'm making it look good. And Matt has no idea, and he gets wide-eyed, and he comes running over, and he goes, Mike, He's like, Lord, I pray over him in Jesus' name right now. <laughs> Healing over the... And now Matt, Matt's a Pentecostal. So, like, he's speaking in tongues. He's hitting me with oil. Like, he's ready to take up an offering on the 50-yard line. But, like, but that's what I'm talking about. There's my brother. He doesn't know what's going on. He's not even going to ask questions and come battle for me in the spiritual right there. Uh, 
And so it's so important, guys, it's so important that we, we surround ourselves with mentors and we surround ourselves with people that will hold us up and lift us up. Uh, and equally as important, uh, those that we're mentoring, our kids, um, make sure that we're trying to influence their environment as much as possible to get them around like-minded individuals who are as goal-oriented uh, uh, as, as, as they are, going in the same direction together. Um, and it's not just about uh, adversity. You know, this is for, for everything in, in life, whether it be holding us accountable, um, uh, you know, just having people to invest in us as we invest in others and to have people to go through life with that are going to invest in you. Um, and so I'm, I'm over right now. I'll give you this Tebow story real quick before we go. Uh, so talking about challenging others, I talk about my, uh, when I was, my last year with the Jets, Tim Tebow was on the team. Tebow's the, the fourth member of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then Tebow. <laughs> and so um, I hadn't met him, but I obviously had known who he was. And, and uh, I remember I'd gone into chapel the night before the game. Uh, this was one of our first preseason games. I hadn't met Tim yet. And I kind of sat towards the back, and Tim came in. I hadn't said a word to him yet. And he said, oh, you're a back row Baptist, aren't you? I was like, he's calling me out for being in the back. Like, and so, you know, this guy, he wasn't afraid to, to, to challenge us. And so I, I was like, oh, man. So we got to know each other and got to meet each other. And, and I remember one day he, uh, I was sitting down talking to him. He says, you know, Mike, I'm going to beat you at everything you do spiritually. He's like, I'm going to give more. I'm going to fellowship better. He's like, I'm going uh, to go out there and win more souls. He's like, and when we die, I'm going to have more crowns in heaven than you are. <laughs> And I'm sitting there thinking, can he do that? Like, I, like I'm looking in the Bible, like, this has got to be a rule against that. Like, he can't. But he did. He challenged me. He held me accountable. Uh, and I really built my, my spiritual walk. And so, again, just to, just to recap, when we're investing in helping the next gen win, get in the game, teach them the Bible, get them in Bible studies, our kids, those we're mentoring, set the example, and then do the best you can to influence their environment and set them around people that have common goals. Uh, and so that's all I got. Jim, thank you guys so much. Sorry I went over today. Love you, brother. Thanks, bro. Thank you, brother.